We're just having all kinds of fun with technology today. There was a small video we were going to play, but uh, apparently it's not working right now. So we'll just move on right into the message. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Chris. I'm the senior pastor here at Covington Baptist Church. I want to welcome all the guests. If you haven't had a chance to fill out a welcome card, please do. We'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, we hear about your visit here. Uh, on the back side, there's uh, prayer requests, whatever you need. We'd love to pray for you guys, and we're definitely a praying church. So, um, And those cards go across my desk, and I pray for every single one of them. So definitely take a moment to do those and just turn them into the back sound booth if you have one to turn in. Um, you know, as you saw, we just had a baptism, and baptisms, you know, is one of the greatest joys that we can have as, as a church, as a pastor. I love baptizing. I love baptizing people because, uh, as you saw from the video, there's just such a, a refreshing view of Christ, you know, that sometimes as, we, as we're Christians and we go along through life and we kind of get comfortable with the, the, our life and the way we do things, we kind of forget that, that zeal, and I loved what Beth was saying, how, you know, she just, she understands scripture now that she didn't understand before, and she's excited for the journey that she's about to be on, and, or she's embarking on this, and I, I love that about her testimony, and so uh, when, I, when I was thinking about baptism, and I was thinking about the message today, I was thinking about what it's like to be a new believer, and I started thinking about what is probably the number one Bible verse in all the world. What would be the Bible verse? If you could say there's one verse that you can find everywhere, what would that be? John 3.16. So I started thinking about that, and I thought, you know what, that is the greatest verse that you can think of when it comes to salvation and baptisms. So that's what we're going to talk about today. John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. I mean, preschoolers recite it when they're young. Football fans put John 3.16 either on their bellies or on their signs. You see it everywhere. You see it on banners. It's brief enough to write on a napkin for somebody and memorize, yet it's solid enough to stand 2,000 years of criticism. It begins with God, it ends with life, and urges us to do the same. It's a great verse. Max Lucado wrote a whole book entitled John 3.16. Actually, I don't even think he put John on it. He just says 3.16 in the title. He wrote an entire book on this one phrase. That's how powerful this phrase, this verse is. It's a wonderful book that draws us back to what I believe is the single most important sentence in all of Scripture. It's so impactful that it impacts other people's lives. As a matter of fact, there's some people that you probably recognize and, and listen to what they have to say about this one verse and the impact that they have in their life. This guy's name is Mac Pally. He's the lead singer of, of Third Day, great Christian band, been around a long time. And he writes, I love John 3.16 because it is the gospel in a nutshell. It, sh- it shares God's great love for us and our great need for him. The next guy, Ernie Johnson, He's a TNT sports center, a sports broadcaster. He says this, John 3.16 is the foundation of my faith. A picture of undeserved, unconditional, unwavering, unwavering love from a father to his kids. I love how he puts that. And Graham Lotz, who's the Billy Graham's daughter, writes this. John 3.16 is the North Star of the Bible. If you align your life with it, you can... Find the way home. And now, one of the greatest theologians of our time, Jeff Foxworthy, says this 
about this phrase. He says this, this is the promise that bears hope for the hopeless. When we finally realize we can't do it, do this on my own, this is the Father's responding. I know I've done it for you. It's a beautiful phrase. A lot of wisdom in that man. I know he's a comedian, but if you listen closely, brilliant. If you know nothing about the Bible, John 3.16, you begin there. If you know everything about the Bible and you're, you've been around Christianity a long time, you've studied the Scriptures, you return there. This is the hope diamond of the Bible. John 3.16. I want, to do, I want to ask you a favor. Can you please stand up and let's read this together. Let's read it all in unison. For God... Let's pray. Father God, as we look at this verse and we see this greatest verse of all of Scripture that you sent your Son for us, open our hearts and our minds to you. Open your hearts and our minds to your will, to your message today. Father God, we love you and we just want to worship you with all of our lives. And so we ask the Holy Spirit to be here today and open our hearts and our minds to you so we can learn something from you today. We love you in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. In this one verse, we see the whole gospel of Jesus Christ and how it relates to us. I want to look at a few different, uh, I want to look at this verse, and we're going to break it down in a couple simple phrases, four simple phrases. And the first one we're going to look at is he loves. For God so loved the world. Think about that for a minute. Let that resonate. For God loves the world. That changes everything, doesn't it? That, doesn't that change the way we look at things? See, sometimes we look at things so pessimistically, but God loves the world. Imagine a world without God's love for a minute. Just imagine what it would be like if God didn't love the world. A dark planet hurling through space, unguided, undirected, no hope, no future, nothing to live for. No purpose, no great purpose for existence. It would be bleak and bland and hopeless. Every death would be the end. That's it. We're done. We live, die, and that's all. And there'd be no hope. Every grave would be a grave of despair. But see, that's if God didn't love the world. But God does love the world. That changes things. That changes how we can look at things. It, it, the way we see everything. We see it in a sunrise. We see it in the grass growing. We see it in the fountain of water, every birth. Every, I have five kids, and every time I saw my kids born, I cried, and I just thank God for the miracle of childbirth. And I'm so thankful that I'm a man and I didn't have to go through it. It's amazing. I, I, it's amazing to see a child's face smile at something as simple as seeing a bug on the ground, and they start chasing it. It's amazing. We see this every day in our lives. The beauty that God has and how much He loves us and how, we, how He loves the world. And He shows that in, in what they call general revelation, which is the world, the way it grows. My children used to watch a, a, a cartoon called VeggieTales. Anybody remember VeggieTales? Yeah, they got burned out on it really fast. But there was one thing. There was Bob, the tomato. And what, the, what VeggieTales was is a bunch of vegetables that would tell stories about the Bible. 
Bob the Tomato, every time at the end of the show, he would say this. He would say, remember, kids, God made you special, and he loved you very much. And so he'd always end it that way. Now, isn't that John 3.16 in a nutshell? God loves you, and you're special? That's John 16 encapsulated in a simple phrase. God made you special, and he loves you very much. A message, uh, that's a message that George Matheson needed to hear. At age 15, he, he found out he was going blind. But he didn't want that to be discouragement, so, and he wanted to go to college. So he went to college, worked really hard, and then by, the 19, by 19 years old, he graduated the University of Glasgow in, 19, or in 1861. By the time he finished his graduate studies, he was completely blind. Now, that didn't deafen his spirit at all. That didn't, didn't crush him. What crushed him was when his fiance gave him back the ring and said, I don't want to be married to a blind man. That's what crushed him. He became a preacher in, in that area and became very beloved. I mean, the people just loved him as a preacher. And he went on to do great things. And then his sister came to visit and said, I'm getting engaged. And it brought back those, those painful memories. Those painful memories of this heartbreak that he went through. But instead of dwelling on it, he, he wrote this and he penned these words. He said, Oh love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths it flows, may richer, fuller be. Instead of being saddened, he remembered God's love, and he said, you know what, I'm heartbroken for this, but God loves you, and God loves me. It's a beautiful story of God's love in a man's life. The Bible says in Romans 8, 38, and this will be up on the screen for you. It says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That list sums up every single thing you could possibly imagine. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. Max Lucado, in another book, writes this. He writes, if God is a refrigerator, your picture is on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flower every, flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Wherever you, whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chooses your heart. He loves you deeply. And because he loves you, he also gives and that's the next two words. He loves you, and he gives. He gives, and Jesus says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son. He gave him to us. See, just to say I love you doesn't mean a whole lot today like it used to, especially in the Greek language and stuff. See, we, you know, we, we say that to our friends, or we say that about a team, like, man, I love UVA, or, or I love Tennessee. That's my team. Or West Virginia, right? We, we, we say that kind of loosely, but we don't really mean it the way we would say it to our wives or our children. I love you, son. 
See, in the Greek language, there's actually four different words for love. And the one that God is using in this, the one that's in here, is agape love. And there has to be a demonstration for that to be effective. It's a demonstrating love. It has to be proven. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that, but God proves his love for us that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He proves his love. This agape love is the ultimate love that you can have, and he proves his love to you because of what he did. He gives. He gave an opportunity for us to have a relationship with him. Now, that sounds strange to most people. Most people think, you know, I don't, I, I don't feel that loved. Or that's, that's kind of an odd concept to be that kind of sacrificial. You know, many, many people think they respect Jesus' word. You know, they respect the Bible. They go, okay, you know, he was a good philosopher. You've seen me put the videos up of people's different opinions on, on Scripture and, and what the Bible says. They well, Jesus was like a prophet, or, or he was a good guy, but, but that's about it. And people have these different views, and they admire his example. And, and, but no matter where they turn around, they don't really see the significance in his death. One man even said that it's the craziest thing they ever heard. He said that I don't need to, a God to forgive me of anything. I don't need a God to forgive me. I've lived a good life. I'm a nice guy. I'm caring. I raise my kids good. People respect me. As a matter of fact, I have a family member that said that exact thing to me. I said, you know what? You need Jesus. Jesus died for your sins. And they said, what sins? I've lived a good life. And they don't see it. But really, if you ask, answer this question, are we really as good as we think we are? Let's see if we measure up to God's standards. Everybody knows about the Ten Commandments. And we're not going to go through all ten of them. This is just a few of them. But let's take a second and just look at four. If you, have you ever stolen something? It could be something as simple as a pencil from work or a pencil from the church or one of these pens. Just so you know you can have the pens. Just It's okay. It's not stealing then. But did you ask? Did you take something from a friend when you are a kid? Did you take something from a store? I know I did. And if you take something, what is that called? What's it called? Stealing. And if you, and if you steal, what are you? You're a thief. What about, what about a lie? Have you, has anybody ever said, I want to raise, I want to see a hand of somebody that has not ever said a lie? Wes is starting to. He was, he's, he's starting. <laughs> See, I was going to call you out. I was. If you would have raised your hand, I said, that's a lie. Because we all have lied, right? We've all done that white lie. Honey, how do I look? You look beautiful. But you might not. We've all done that. Okay? I'm married. I understand. My wife has done the same thing back to me. But you know what? We've all lied. And if we lied, what is that? What are we? Liar. What about the other ones? Uh, what about, have you ever told, take the Lord's name in vain? Some of you guys slam a hammer on your thumb? Uh, yeah. Have you, have you ever said that? Yeah. I'm sure we have. What about, this is a tough one. How about commit adultery? Dad, I want you to see your hands. Okay. What about committing adultery? Here's the kicker. Jesus said that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Has any one of us ever done that? Looked at a woman or a man? Ooh, they look hot. 
go down to the beach and you're thinking something, the moment you lust, you just committed adultery against your spouse. See, we're not as clean as we think. That's only four out of ten, and if we kept going, I'm sure we wouldn't fare well in the rest of them. See, even most sincere people, when they're honest, when we're completely honest, we know that we're sinners. I have never met anybody that truly believes that they're not. And the people that are, there's a term called narcissist. Okay, they truly don't believe that they're sinning. But all of us know that we've made mistakes. All of us know that we've sinned in something. We've, we've all done things that hurt people's feelings. We've lied. We've done stuff. And the Bible calls that sin. And if there's a sin, if we can't measure up to God's standard, then we need some reconciliation. We need something to happen for us to be right with God. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin separates us from a relationship with Him. So if any of us are going to have a real relationship with our Creator, a real relationship with God, we have to have something happen to restore it. If I offend Jan right here and our relationship is split, we're angry at each other, something has to happen. Either she's got to come to me and try to reconcile, or I need to go to her and reconcile. But something has to happen, right? That's how relationships work? Well, the same thing's true for God. If I have offended God and I have sinned against God, something has to happen. Either he has to come down to me and reconcile, or I need to go to him. But the problem is, is there's nothing I can do. So it's all up to God. He gave himself, he gave Jesus for that salvation, for that reconciliation. He gave Jesus to die on the cross for us so he can take that penalty of sin and make the relationship whole. And because of that, we have an opportunity to believe. Continuing on on John 3.16, Jesus said, He gave the one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So it gives us an opportunity to believe. This concept is very contrary to our instincts. But it's, it's so simple. We want to complicate it. Well, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And if you're going to be a Christian, you have to go to church every single Sunday. I want you to see you in church so you can grow and have fellowship with others. But you have the, we have these rules that in order to be saved, and that's the opposite of what God says. See, and, that's, and we try to complicate things. No other religion promises what Jesus promises. No other religion. If you look at Judaism, there's a, there's a judgment day decision based on our morality. When we go to heaven, we have a judgment day based on our morality and how good we are as people. That will determine what our status is in heaven. Buddhism, graze your life according to the four noble truths and the eightfold path. And what that means is that you keep getting reincarnated until you can go through these events and, these, and go through these behaviors and become pure and pure and pure until someday you're pure enough, basically righteous enough, to be able to go to nirvana. And here's the kicker when it comes to Buddhism. I used to study Buddhism before I became a Christian. Here's the kicker. Your whole goal is to get to nirvana, which is non-existence. So your whole goal is to do all these eight paths to enlightenment, but then when you get enlightened, you don't exist anymore. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go for that goal. When I learned that, that's one of the things that drove me away from Buddhism. Muslims, they have to earn their way to Allah by performing the duties of the five pillars of faith, and it's earned. But yet Jesus is totally different. 
But in Christianity, Jesus calls us to do one thing, and one thing only. Believe in Him. Look at some of these verses. I picked out a whole bunch of verses, but I, I, I didn't want to read about 10 or 15 verses to you, so I picked out four here. But just take a look at what these say. In John 1, 12, Yet to all who receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. When you believe you are a child of God, you're not just some stranger, you're his child. John 3.18, if we were to look at 3.16 and read the next couple verses, whoever believes in him and Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John John 6.47 I tell you the truth, whoever believes has eternal life. The Ephesians, Paul writes in the book of the Ephesians this, it is for by grace we are saved through faith, not of our own doing, it's a gift from God. All he asks us to do is believe. Believe in Jesus Christ. That's the call of salvation. So now you might be thinking, well, wait a minute here, we had a baptism, what's this baptism part? Isn't that required for salvation? Or what about repentance or a changed life? We should be able to see a changed life in people's lives. But what about those things? Are you saying that those things aren't necessary? No, of course not. Yes, they're necessary. But the thing is, is and they're absolutely necessary, but baptism, repentance, changed lives are not in addition to faith. They are expressions of faith. I want you to hear that. They are expressions of faith. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're going to be changed. You cannot meet Jesus and not be changed. And when you meet him, those are going to be expressions. You're going to want to get baptized. You're going to want a changed life. You're going to want to repent. You're going to walk toward Christ. And that's because of that. It's an outpouring of that relationship. Jesus wants to see this is not because of what we've done but because of who he is. It's not because of who I am, but because what he's already done. And all he asks is to put his trust, or our trust into him and him alone. To walk in faith. And just say, you know what, Jesus? I'm yours. I'll walk with you. I love you. That's as simple as it is. There's a story about an elderly man who was quite wealthy, and his son passed away before he did. So when it came to, uh, he, he got older and he passed away himself, the estate went to auction. And so they had all this beautiful stuff out on the, on the lawn, and all these auctioneers were coming. And the first thing they started out was, was this kind of childish painting of his son, the, the, the wealthy man's son. And the auctioneers were trying to auction it off, and nobody would buy. So people were starting to get a little antsy. They're starting to kind of push. You can still see the restlessness going on. But the auctioneer wouldn't budge. When that gets sold, then we'll move on. Well, there's a young woman who happened to be a caretaker of the house, knew how much the elderly man loved his son. So she scrounged up a little bit of money and said, I'll buy it. And she made an offer. The auctioneer hit the gavel down, said, auction's over. He made a stipulation that whoever buys the son gets the whole estate. God has done the same thing. Whenever 
First uh, John five twelve. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. When you choose the Son, you have eternal life. Max Lucado said in another book. I have a lot of Max Lucado today. God rewards those who seek Him, not those who seek doctrine or religion or systems or creeds. Many settle for those for these lesser passions, but He rewards. But the reward goes to those who settle for nothing less than Jesus himself. And the reward when we believe, when when we believe and we love him and we believe, we live. And that's the last part of John 3.16. It says, Jesus says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Sometimes we imagine this, this idea of, of heaven as a, where we're going to have you know, white robes and, and have angel wings and we play harps and we're just going to fly around the clouds, right? That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says way, it's going to be way better. The Bible says it's going to be a place with rivers, trees, buildings, gates, streets, mountains, houses, cities. Did you know that? It's not going to be like some heavenly, you know, like some cloud, cloud thing. No, it's going to be huge, and we're going to be able to walk down the streets. We're going to be able to talk with one another, and that's it found in Revelation twenty-one and twenty-two. If you want to look it up, although this glory will will be described or beyond description, its essential components will be those that we find on earth. Paradise lost will be paradise found. Uh, Isaiah 65, 17 says, look, I will make a new heaven and a new earth. See, there's going to be a, a beautiful place that we're going to spend eternity with. It's not some far out boring place. It's going to be a magnificent. God's plan on earth is not to destroy it, but to redeem it, to renew it, to restore it, to make a perfect paradise for all his people and all his kids to spend eternity where sin won't be there and it won't be corrupted. Man, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be a magnificent experience. I'm not ready to go, but I'm looking forward to it. Although the full glory of heaven will be beyond description, we are certainly capable of imagining a better world, a world of beauty and grandeur, a paradise where God intended to be. Think about the Garden of Eden all over again, but with no sin, no temptation. One of the greatest blessings that heaven won't be there. This is another part of the flip side. We see the, the beautiful cities and that, all of the beautiful landscape. But check this out. There's not going to be death. There's not going to be disease. There's not going to be divorce, no trials, no tribulations, no turmoil, no suffering, no death. No funeral homes, no abortion clinics, no psychiatric wards. No bigotry, no muggings, no killings, no worry, no depression, no economic downturns, no wars, no unemployment. No rape, no missing kids, no drug rehabs. Close friends, but no cliques. Laughter, but no put-downs. Intimacy, but no temptation for immorality. No hidden agendas, no backroom deals, no betrayals. Think about that. Paradise. You could trust everybody. You don't have to lock your door. We don't have to carry weapons. Peace and paradise. Without the presence of evil, the new heaven and new earth will be nothing like we will ever experience. 
What a wonderful, magnificent place to look forward to. And yet there's still more. There's still more than that. The Bible says that when Jesus is riding through the clouds, those who have died believing in Christ will rise, and after the resurrection, we will be given new bodies. Now, I love that. When I was in my 20s, I was a little lean. Now, got a little gray, got a little padding. But you know what? I'm looking forward to the day that I'll be a new body. I will never get sick. I'll never get old. I can eat whatever I want. I can, have, I can sit at the buffet for days and not gain a pound. I get an amen over there, huh, Wes? Yes. That's going to be magnificent. Spending eternity in these new bodies. Listen to what the, the Bible talks about our new bodies in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from one another in their glory. It is the same with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, and they will be raised in strength. They will be buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as, the natural bo- just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Indestructible, glorious, beautiful, powerful, honorable. Those are some descriptions of our new body. And those are words described as our new bodies will be alive. In this life we get old and we pass away. Our bodies just break down and over time. But in eternity we'll be able to jump higher jump farther, run longer. We will have never run out of energy. I love what one of this, I found this one translation that I just fell in love with. It's the, uh, I think it's today's Living Bible translates it like this. When we come back to life, they will be superhuman bodies. I love that idea because, you know, superhuman bodies, it's like, like remember last week I was talking about Superman and, and our daydream as kids? We're, when we get to heaven, we're going to actually have some supernatural abilities. It's going to be awesome. Not only will Christ be coming and augurate of our resurrection, but he'll also have an intimate relationship with us. And we'll also have this, and he'll start a new a new reunion. My father passed away a, uh, a month before I got married. He is a believer. I look forward to introducing him to my wife. I look forward to introducing him to my kids. Don't you have family members? Isn't it going to be awesome to look at, uh, meet your great-great-great-great-grandparents? Well, I don't know. Add about ten greats and, and, and then go back to them, assuming they're saved. Wouldn't that be awesome to talk to your grandparents that you miss? And, and hear stories. That, we're going to be reunited. When this resurrection happens, we're going to be reunited with family members. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, On the day when the Lord comes, the Bible says, All the people who have, been, who have believed will be amazed at Jesus. We'll be reunited with Christ himself. Revelations 21, verses 3 and 4. I heard from a 
I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe, every tear, wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Do you understand that? When we die, and we, when, when the rapture happens, or when the resurrection happens, you will not be sitting there looking at Jesus at a far off. He'll be sitting there amongst the people. He will be sitting there talking with you. You will be able to visit him whenever you want. He's not going to be far away. He's going to, you're going to be able to sit next to him and hear his stories and just enjoy the presence of our Lord for all eternity. Our restored relationship with God will offer infinite possibilities. Can you imagine just sitting there listening to Jesus for all of eternity? The love and the wisdom and the holiness of being around him. Jesus will spend eternity revealing these things to us. He will spend eternity loving on us because we're his. We're his kids. See, he loves, he gives, we believe, and we get to live. It's really that simple. God loves the world more than you can ever imagine. And he gave his only one and only son for you. For you. Remember what Max Lucado said? If, he had a, if Jesus had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Take the time and choose Jesus right now. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes. If you've never made that decision, if you've never made that decision to follow Jesus Christ in your entire life, but you feel the Holy Spirit words and you feel like you need to do that right now, do me a favor and slip up your hand. Slip up your hand and let me know. Nobody's looking. Nobody's watching. If you've never made that commitment, thank you. Now, maybe you have made that commitment, or maybe you've made that commitment at some time in your life, but you, you know what? You really needed to hear this today. You just need to go back to the basics of, of who Jesus is. And you're thinking to yourself, I've been kind of away. I need to restore that relationship with God. Don't worry, your salvation's intact, but maybe you need to grow with him again. Why don't you, if, you're that, if that's you today, slip up your hand. Let me know that that's where you're at. Let me know that you need to come back to Christ and restore that relationship. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to pray in just a second. And I hope the Holy Spirit is, is working in your life. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to close with a song. And I'll be up at the altar, and if you want to come up and pray, you can come to me and pray. You can come out to the altar by yourself and pray, whatever you need. If you want to be baptized, I'll baptize you right now. But it takes courage to step up and do that, but it will do it right now. While the water's warm. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the blessings you bring to us. Father God, thank you for the love that you have. You love us so much that it, it hurts how much you love us. I want to shout it to the rooftops how much you love us because it's just so amazing that a God of the universe that created everything loves little old us. We sinned against you. We've sinned against other people. And yet you love us enough to die on the cross for us. A brutal, 
horrible death, and you did it because you love us. There's no greater thing in the world than a man giving up his life for another. And you did that for us. You didn't have to, but you did. Father God, I hope and I pray that each and every one of us here has a dedicated relationship with you. And if there's people in this room right now that don't have that relationship with you, Lord, I ask you to continue to reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to them, Lord, so they can have that loving relationship with you. Father God, I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to share your word today. And thank you for all the guests that are here today witnessing the the transformation that is going on in Beth's life. And thank you for Beth and her family for being an encouragement to her. And Father God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.